When you move abroad, you often find yourself having to be really open to change, at least if you want a successful experience. New location, new people, new opportunities often require it. This isn't easy for everyone because quite frankly, most of us are used to having our lives have a certain rhythm. But when you decide to leave the comfort of what you know, you just have to find a new beat to keep it moving. Without a doubt, Monday Young is the embodiment of this. She is someone who's had a fascinating global life that has been motivated in part by curiosity, opportunity, and a little bit of fearlessness. Her story starts with her multicultural background in Los Angeles, but as you will hear, it quickly becomes an international one. An Air Force veteran, Monday moved to Europe in 2001, literally right before the September 11th attacks. From the United Kingdom to Australia to her adopted home of France, in every location, Monday's had to lean in and recreate an adaptable version of herself. In this episode, we talk a lot about that process, how she's found career opportunities, community, and relationships to build a life that works for her. We even discuss how answering a job ad from a well-known astrologer led her into entrepreneurship, as well as the key advice she gives to all of her expat coaching clients. Monday and I go down quite a few rabbit holes, but trust me, it's worth the colorful trip. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, so we're here with the latest episode of the Global Chatter, and I'm excited to welcome Monday Young to the spot. Hey! I am so excited we've gotten this together because I feel like we sort of formally started speaking to each other only a few weeks ago and now I'm like I'm so excited for your story yeah yeah, thank you I mean I knew your I knew you way be I was watching you know like everybody you know in the distance (laughs) you know so I knew I, I definitely knew about your podcast from from way before you know it's it feels when you're doing something, it feels like you're in a fishbowl. Like you can't see the people because you know, you're yeah. coaching everything. So you, and you have yeah. a show. So like you're yeah. doing this stuff and you're like, Oh, it's just me. And then you randomly meet people who go, Oh, I've been to your website. Oh, I've been to your podcast. Yeah. And, you're, yeah. and you're going, I don't know you, but apparently you know more about me. <laughs> so, so for, for everyone who's listening in, I always like to start off because this is kind of a globally focused show. Um, tell everyone where you're located. Uh, so I live in Marseille, which is in the south of France. Which, is it as glamorous as it sounds like, or no? It does. Like, out of my window, I can see the Mediterranean. Like, I... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's literally, Sorry. like, three beaches, 15-minute walks from my house. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's a reason, every, you know, people want to be here. You know, sunshine, beaches, the rosé. You know, of course. The- <laughs> oh my god! It's not, you know what it the sounds like. The month off in August. Of you know, course. Like- <laughs> it sounds like the quintessential when you think about like French holiday, French relaxation, sort of like French way of life. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Oh my goodness! How long have you lived there? Uh, in Marseille, I've been in Marseille for about eight years now. Yeah, I've been there for about eight years. Goes fast. Well, and I was gonna say, I think for our audience we may need to backtrack because I feel like you have an incredibly international story. And so can we kind of, can we sort of start from the beginning for the people who don't know you are, you are American. The the beginning of when I started traveling. 
Ooh, let's let's even start. Um, yeah, let's go with that. So because I'm not when you were born, but where were you, <laughs> although we could do that. Where were you? Where were you born and raised? OK, so I was born in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey, and I lived there until I was about five. And then my mom moved us to Los Angeles. And so I basically grew up in Los Angeles. And yeah, spent most of my life in LA, but I, I would always spend the summers in Jersey's because my parents shared custody. So you grew up in LA and this is just me projecting, but <laughs> living in LA, did you grow up kind of in a multicultural environment or is it more segregated? Super multicultural. Like, to be honest with you, I was thinking about this the other day. I didn't even really have that many black friends in school at all like it, you know my best friend is Nicaraguan my five closest friends like from I would say 14 until I graduated high school one was Mexican one was Colombian one was from Nicaragua one was white we were just like this mix you know um, but LA is just you know it's a melting pot of everything wow yeah so what then led you to go abroad for the first time? Did you guys travel when you were a kid or that wasn't part of your story? Yeah. I mean, my dad was a, was, um, my dad was a nomad, but I would say more in the United States. So I've been to almost every state in the United States. And because my parents, you know, I was spending summers in Jersey and most of the year mm -hmm. in LA, I was East coast, West coast. So ever since I was little, so I was always on planes, always traveling every summer, me and my dad would get in his car and, uh, you know, go around to, to different States, you know, to, mm -hmm. to do different stuff. So I was used to traveling from a really long, young age. And then did you, when did you take your first international trip? Gosh, to be honest, I can't even. Uh, I mean, I don't need a year. We ain't trying to date you, but I'm like saying. <laughs> okay. Like, just like, like, where did you go? That's really why where you go. Why use Langcone if <laughs> right. people are just going to call you out, though? Um, <laughs> I guess my first international trip would have been when I was about 19, I guess, when I, when I joined the military. I guess that's when, when, when I finally got on my own and had my own money and uh -huh. could do what I want. Yeah, that was, I would say around 19. And so how long were you in the, in the military? I was in the military for five years. I was in the air force. I was going to ask you what branch. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the air force. So did that, did that take you, I don't know for a lot of people just take them international. Did that take you to they different places? They didn't take me nowhere. They didn't <laughs> take me nowhere, girl. They took did me you? to an iceberg. They took me to an iceberg. I was stationed three years in Alaska. I went from Los <laughs> Angeles to Alaska. Like when I said, God, please change my life. He was like, okay. <laughs> so, you went, so you went to Alaska? No, it, no Italy, no Middle East, no, no nothing. No, no I live in a small town called Fairbanks, Alaska. Right. I think we all know that because that's where, what's her name is, who ran for vice president. Um, what is oh, her name? Oh, Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. So right. I was in Sarah Palinville. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Like Aww. three, uh, I went from, you know, uh, a city of what, 3 million people to a town of 3000 and wow. where wow. the average temperature, you know, eight months out of the year is minus 55. I was like, what? <laughs> they didn't take you anywhere glorious. Well, I mean, mm -mm. I mean, no, you know what though, for someone from LA, Alaska is different. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to plug in your cars to keep the oil and all the liquids from freezing, from freezing. just to buy your groceries. You know what I'm saying? Like, I oh was God. not, I was not ready. I was not ready. <laughs> and so, so you were there for three years and then did you come, did you come back to California where you stationed somewhere else in the U.S.? No, you know, you know, the funny thing is, is when I was in basic training and I got my orders, well, they weren't my official orders. Like it, I got orders to pull out all of my wisdom teeth. And normally when they pull out all of your wisdom teeth is because you are going to go overseas. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going overseas. And the thing said AK, right? And I had two girls sitting next to me. One girl said, that's Alaska. And another girl goes, that's Arkansas. I was like, I don't want to go to either place. Either I went to both places. I spent three years in Alaska and my last year and a half in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> I, I mean, I know we talk about cross-cultural stuff. So... <laughs> You went from LA to Alaska oh. to Arkansas. Cause here's here's what I think for people who aren't American. Yeah. This country is massive. It's huge. You could have a culture shock inside of the United States. Inside the same state, to be honest, if it's a big <laughs> enough. Like you, no, but you're from California, yeah, sure. right? Yeah, and California is enormous. Oh my god. And the yeah. valley? Yeah, no. Yeah. So yeah. I don't if you haven't actually really lived in the US, you don't understand that you could go from one state and go to a different region. It's like eight countries here. Yeah. So yeah, sure. sure. So that's I'm actually so I'm legitimately curious, going having your California background and also being a kid who was born in the East Coast, what yeah. was then it like living in Arkansas, which apparently the other day I was on TikTok. Um they said that they were southern. I was confused because I like I geographically live in the South and I'm yeah, like, are you, yeah. are you just country or you suck? <laughs> Sorry, Cause there's a difference. <laughs> Cause you can be country. Yeah. 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 And not be Southern. Southern. And so I'm yeah. like, are y'all really, we, I don't think y'all when I think Southern, but okay. What was a little rocket? Okay. I'm gonna, what I'm going to sum it up in <laughs> one example, right? When I went to Denny's, they had hmm. chitlins on the buffet. <laughs> Did they really? That's it. Answer your question, girl. Okay. Let it answer it. Let it answer wow. it. They wow. had chitlins on the buffet of Denny's. I was like, Denny's do chitlins? I was like, since They when? do in certain places, apparently. <laughs> since when? Since when? Like, when, when, when did they start doing chitlins? Like, I missed the memo. <laughs> they don't do it in LA, which one can understand, but I promise you. <laughs> Oh, so it's like you couldn't find a baked nothing. Like there was no baked fish, there was no baked chicken. Everything was Thing deep was fried. Fried. Everything <laughs> deep fried okra, deep fried fish, deep fried chicken. If they could deep fry it, they deep fried it. There was and, deep and they, fried Snicker bars. Yes, I was gonna say we do that. We do that here in this in the state fair. They'll deep fry Snickers bars, Mars bars, cotton mm -hmm. cotton candy, mm -hmm. <laughs> like. Things that should not be Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, because be it's not already fattening enough. You know what we're gonna do? Slap some fry oil that. on it. <laughs> Maybe some butter. Make Let's it taste better. That. Exactly. You, you know, okay. This ain't got nothing to do with nothing, but once again on TikTok, this is what I saw. Somebody took I gotta find this. I'm gonna make it. I don't even care. Peach cobbler. Like she made the Why would ingredients. Why you ruin a peach cobbler like that, ma'am? Hold on now, hold on. She made. Okay, she took okay. the she she took the ingredients of peach cobbler, right? The peaches, whatever, made it from scratch. Then put them in egg roll wrappers. Rolled, made it so they're like this big, and then mm -hmm. deep fried them, and mm -hmm. then had this vanilla. I, like, <laughs> like it do kind of sound good though now, right? 
Like it got that little crunchy on the outside. Yes. You put and that vanilla ice, ice cream, cream on top of that. About to come out. It was like, mm, <laughs> let me get a taste of that. Just a taste, though. You probably get, you probably gained five pounds from the first bite. Looking at it, you gained five pounds. But I was like, I'm gonna save this TikTok. I'm gonna make this mess. Like I look, but think about it though. She was doing it mini, right? If you think about egg roll mm-hmm. sizes. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at her I'm like, that woman is somewhere in the South Coast. Who else gonna think about how to make a deep fried peach cobbler got time? and drizzle it? Who got time to be thinking about rolling up peach cobbler? And- <laughs> <laughs> Who? Somebody sitting on a porch. Exactly. And we're on porches in the South. <laughs> she was probably sitting on her porch thinking, <laughs> how can I take this deep, this cobbler and make it deep fried? So make it more we- country. <laughs> I'll put my so, foot in this. I'm gonna put my foot in it. And the black dude, so and it was a reaction video. So the black dude who was watching it, first of all, he's funny. He's always like, What's she about to do? What's she about to do? Then he's like, uh, then he said, uh-uh, I need to taste that crunch. He's like, Can you mail that? He's talking to the can you mail that to me? And I'm looking at him like, you're acting ridiculous, but you know what? That does look kind of good though. That like, I'm not gonna good. lie. I would like to taste it too, just to see, <laughs> so, just to see what it do. We got I'm 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 gonna attempt to I'm gonna attempt to do this. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> but so how long I, I'm assuming then because of the military, you were there for a year and then you got out of Dodge once the moment happened. What do you mean in, in Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. Cause you were yeah, there for, yeah, yeah. for a year. Arkansas was the last, was the last. <laughs> was I was fun. like I'm good on this whole, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm out. I'm out. No, I actually decided to get out when I think George Bush became president, the second one. <laughs> right. Right. I no, Republicans. And it's not, you know, it's nothing against him personally, but Republicans normally go to war. And so mm-hmm. I got in at the perfect time. Like, I was at the, the Clinton administration and yeah. it was, you know, I had one deployment, you know, for six months in the desert. But, you know, after that, all my friends or whoever who stayed in, they had multiple deployments. Multiple you know, we were in Afghanistan yeah. for a long time. So things changed. So normally, so I was like, once we had a Republican president, I was like, I'm good. <laughs> and, and you know what, though? And and it's right. Now that I think about you saying that, that would have put you 2000, 2001, right yeah. before September 11th. And so that's what would have September eleventh when I when I just arrived in Europe. I have I was I was in England, and um, I was because I had changed careers. I had decided to become a chef when I got out of the military. I had got a job on the at the officers' club on the base near Cambridge, and mm-hmm. we were standing inside of like the break room watching mm-hmm. the news as the. Uh, about the the news about the the planes hitting the twin towers so i had just arrived in england i think i had been in england like two weeks wow wow i mean and i think you just kind of led into a really interesting segue so you had you decided while you're in the military that you wanted to shift into a culinary career or is that something that came a little bit after um, it was before. So I before I really loved cooking and I loved having parties. I was catering for parties mm-hmm. and different friends events. And so I thought, you know, when I was getting out, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked things that were sort of intellectual and physical. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. see myself sitting behind a desk. Like I wanted to do something that was that I would be moving around. And so mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, I think, you know, I might enjoy being a chef. So before I got out, I would say the last year, 
I started working part-time in restaurants before I got out. So in the evening, I had a part-time, I had a part-time job in a French restaurant and I had uh, a part-time job in a soulful restaurant. Cause you know, in the States, how we do it, you got three jobs, you know, right? <laughs> Maybe four. <laughs> Maybe four. Maybe four. Yeah. So then how did that get you to, how did that get you to England? It didn't. I mean, it, what, what happened was, is that originally I, when I, when we, when I got out, me and my best friend were in the service together uh-huh. and I, and we were both supposed to get out together and we both either wanted to go, we were thinking about moving to Canada or Europe. Oh, wow. And so I, I had went to Canada and I visited Vancouver and everything and it was beautiful, but it was still too American for me. I was like, I still don't feel like I left the United States. So We wanted to go to Europe and we were trying to figure out how to do that. And he came home one day and he was like, look, they offered me to go wherever I want. Plus, you know, a higher position and rank and all this stuff they offered him to try to get him to stay in. And I was like, look, you do not have to stay in. I know we want to go to Europe, but, you know, it's not that serious. Like we could figure out another way. And he was like, well, I think I want to be, you know, a nurse anyway. And I'm in public health. I can cross train. And when I get out, you know, I won't have that much studying I need to do. And I yeah. said, well, you you make that decision. I was like, if you if if that's something you think you want to do, that's great. I'll follow you. We'll follow because we we've been we always stayed together like yeah. thick as thieves. So and so, you know, he decided he wanted to go. He wanted to go. We chose England because we only spoke English and it was like the the quickest place I could I could work. Right. Mm, if if, yeah. if I followed him. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Wow. I yeah. mean, I hear people getting international all kinds of ways. I think that's yeah. definitely one of the more different, <laughs> <laughs> different routes. You, I mean, I mean, think about it. Usually, it's they have a job, they have a part, they have a partner, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It's some other reason that's committed to the relate the friendship. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My best friend, you know, it's like it's that's like my gay husband. You know, it was we yeah. were just inseparable. You know, it was kind of like, you know, I even changed high schools with him. Like my mom let me, he had to change high school. So my mom let Mm. me change high schools with him. He was, he was too old when we were in high school. So he had to go to adult school. So I, I, I left high school. I went to adult school with him so I could graduate early. You know, like we were just thick as thieves. That's, that's my ace bone cone. And I I also, when you're younger too, you know, you can make decisions that when you're a little bit older, you might think, okay, I got all this other stuff going on, but that's super cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I feel yeah. bad. I don't know if I've ever followed my friends. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't I mean, just one I... friend. That was my no. best friend. You no, know that's I mean? true. That is true. That's, that's, right. your, that's, that's your, your person. Bestie. That's, yeah. That's your, that's person. your person. He's still my person, you know, is he, you know, when my, my, um, you know, when my dad couldn't come to my wedding when I got married here, you know, it was him who walked me down the aisle. Aww. You know, that's that's my bestie. Does he uh, where does he live right now? He lives in Cali. So he's, he's a nurse. In- yeah. He's, yeah. He's a nurse at the back VA home. in Los Angeles. Yeah. So it, it all worked out because I was like, is he still in England? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think after four years, he left and I stayed. And I was going to say, how long were you in the UK? So you were there for four years or so or five? I've lived more. in the I've I've lived in the UK twice. So the first time I was there, I guess I you could say technically because I had I had a place there for a long time. I was technically there I think for about 4 years, but 2 years out of that I went to Australia and New Zealand 
but wow. my mom and my best friend were in were in the house that we shared at the time. So I kept the house and my stuff there, but I did take off to Australia. Other places. Even. Yeah. So for the for the globally curious, I'm, I want to hear a little bit about that. You were in the UK. So what were you doing in the UK professionally? And then how did you get to go to Australia and New Zealand? Well, I, I was a chef, so I, I, you know, like, God bless it. Like, I arrived, and, like, soon as I drove in, like, where he, he had to check into the base, the officer's club was looking for a chef. Now, I had already been working for about a year part-time as a commie chef, right? So mm -hmm. I just went in, and I, and I had a job two weeks later. Nice. And so I was working there. And then because I didn't have enough experience to be hired into a hotel yet, what I did is I went to apply for like chef agency. So I was like a part-time chef. So that was excellent because I got to see so many different mm. venues and different ways of cooking. So like I was in pubs, I was at golf courses, I was in hotels, I was everywhere as a part-time chef and i think i did that for the first two years and i made mad money it was awesome yeah. i should have never actually changed that but i was <laughs> i was focused on you know becoming a sous chef and working in mm -hmm. a proper fine dining restaurant and that was the goal and and i would say at the end of about two years i was ready and i got my first position finally in a french in a french fine dining restaurant in cambridgeshire wow okay and then what what then made the jump for you to be able to go to Australia and New Zealand? Was it being a chef? So at that point, I, I started working in, at, at some point I had, when I started working in fine dining, it wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, mm. I was working six days a week. Yeah. Um, I was working split shifts. You know, I didn't see my friends. I actually, I literally just didn't have any life. And even, even though I was cooking all this beautiful food, I had no time to actually make beautiful food for myself. Right. right? So it was like, I was eating kebabs at the end of my shift. It's like, why is this? Like, this does not make sense. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is not, this is not what I dreamed of. And at that time I met uh, my I guess would be technically my second husband. We, I think we had been dating about three months or something. Mm -hmm. And I was looking to, you know, I wanted to change. I was like, I don't think I can live like this. It was the, the hours were killing me. Yeah. And it kind of sucked out my love for cooking because it was so strenuous. Like yeah. there wasn't that freedom for creativity and fine. Uh, and fine dining as I as I wanted. I mean, it is if you're the head chef and you're the person yeah. making the menus, but of I course. wasn't at that stage yet. Yeah. And um, and so I had met my my uh, my second husband at that time. And three months in, he was like, my job offered me a position to go to New Zealand. He was like, but I don't want to go if you won't go with me. So I was like, we've been dating like three months. I was like, I don't know. Sir, <laughs> 90 days. It's been 90 days. 90 days. There's a whole show called 90 Days Fiance. 90 days. See, I was ahead of the game. You were ahead of the curve. You've been ahead of the curve all your life with everything. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I prayed on it, you know, and I, and I had been praying for, you know, a partner for a while. And he had all the qualities of the type of partner that I wanted and so I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to go with you. I was like, but I need to have my own bedroom, like just in case this yeah. doesn't work out and I'm keeping my house and I'm keeping all my stuff. And I just want you to know if I feel comfortable, uncomfortable at any time, I'm going to return home. Yeah. So I, 
So, but I wanted to leave the job I was in. So it just seemed like a good time to take a break. And initially I was just going over to see how it was going to be. And it turned out to be great. So I ended up staying and then we ended up, you know, spending also after that, spending some time in Australia. And then, yeah, that's just how that happened. Was it New Zealand that you went to first or was it Australia? Um, we we spent like three months in Australia before we went on to New Zealand. And okay. then we went on to New Zealand for a year. And then we went back to Australia for about six months. Okay. So at this point, you obviously have lived in the U.S. You've lived in the U.K., you've moved to Australia and you, let's say Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. 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 Did you experience and all these places are English speaking, right? So did you experience any kind of culture shock going in between or were there just some nuances that kind of like jumped up? England. I was just like, what are they talking about? Like, I didn't understand. Like this was supposed to be English and I never, you know, I was like, right. I don't understand. <laughs> the slang was so different. And the culture is different. Like when, when, when I came, which I'm pretty sure it's still the same. The the pub is like the community center, right? Everything happens in the pub. Like if you got an alcohol problem, this is a serious problem because <laughs> everything happens at the pub. It's like, we're going right. to the movies, meet at the pub. We're going to go to Susan's house later. Let's meet at the pub. After church, we're going to meet at the pub. Like <laughs> it is the community center. The kids is there. The priest is there. It was the first time I ever seen a man of the cloth in a like a bar like at the at the counter i was like they do sir. this around here <laughs> sir you know because i because where i where i lived in brampton it was like my house was here there was a big uh, church of england next to it and next to the church of england was the pub and so everybody would go like from church to the pub i was like okay <laughs> Okay. Get your healing. Get your healing where you can get your healing. Get it, okay. get, it, get it where you get it, you know. And you see people in there with their children because in the States you normally, like you see kids in a restaurant that has a bar, but you don't yeah. see kids in a place in a bar. that is just a oh. bar. You know what I no, mean? You never but see in kids England, there. in England, it's, it's you know, it, you have your Sunday roast. You could get like small things to eat. Kids are there. So it's mm -hmm. it's like a community center, you know, but with a bar Without, in it. I, with a bar. <laughs> wow. So, okay. And their drinking habits are different. You know, they're not cocktails and like getting ice. You know, you know, in the States, we love ice. We put ice all the way up to here. You'd be like, you have to ask for less ice. You'd be like, can I just get like, yes. can you put my ice on yes. the side, please? So I can yes. see what my beverage actually is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, you know what? You are so right. I'm thinking about all the places I've traveled and you're right. You either have to ask for ice yeah, or it's just, it's just not a thing. Whereas it's when I came back, when I was coming back to the States, I'm thinking to myself, we have way too much, too much ice. like, why do we have so much ice and things? Like, but anyway, I know it's like a weird, maybe it's thing, vanilla's but ice, but maybe it's vanilla's ice fault. Ice, ice, baby. Everybody's like, no, can no. I get some <laughs> And it's and here's the thing. I okay. So even when I travel to places, I don't like my water that cold. Me to like I don't I don't like it that cold. Like I think it's weird. And so I like my cocktails I, cold. But they don't they don't do cocktails in pubs. Like you could get like right. You know a rum and coke. You get like a two ingredient cocktail. There ain't not like no daiquiris or nothing popping off. Oh, they're not. Here. They're not mixing. <laughs> no. no, they're like not. if we can't if we can't pour it straight from the bottle, it's not. <laughs> it's not happening. You know. You should see how they look at you if you buy, if you order like 
a, a soft drink. Really? You're like a, a Coke, you're like, you know, this was, or at least this was at the pub that was next to my house. <laughs> next you know what next to the church should be a little bit lenient, but okay. Why are you know, it's like, Coke? can I get a Coke? They're like, what's wrong? Why did you, you? Like, why did you come here for <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, so, so I guess that was different. And they used to get drunk so early, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> yes. Yes. They eat early, you know, because in the States, everything is open 24 hours a day. And that's what was different about Europe. Like things closed. Yes. There was no 24 hour revolving door at that time. Like the pub shuts at 11, 1130, you know, oh, wow. and if you're lucky, you know, the pub owner, which I did. So you could do the shut ins, you know, and when you had the shut ins, OK, you extended a little bit, but it was just a different lifestyle. It was a, it was, you know, it was a different way and rhythm of living and you know they don't have like six cylinder cars over there you don't see that yeah you know gas is by the liter not the gallon right. uh cost of cost of living is is totally different you know so everything was different everything was different and even the way people date and um think about relationships and love and sex and all of those type of things, you know, cause I was single when I, you know, when I moved there. So I was, I was at a huge learning curve for like, how do people date in this country, mm -hmm. you know, as compared to the States. So the rules change, you know, from country yeah. to country. Yeah. And in Europe, they don't really date. They don't date. Oh, tell me more. How's it different? It's not a dating culture. You know, you, you meet the dude at the pub. Probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's the community it's center. Just, exactly. And you just talk to people and you get to know someone and like, okay, maybe you'll go out to eat. I think the United States with all the movies and stuff has brought in the dating culture. But normally, you know, you're just hanging out with someone. And if you like them, you just keep hanging out. There's not like this official. And like after like five days, that's probably your boyfriend. You know, I think that that's changed maybe a little bit now because the American culture has sort of like threw itself yeah. up over everywhere. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, and I had to be really careful about that because I wasn't used to that in L.A. People are allergic to relationships <laughs> like you had to be, you know, you had to make somebody sign on a dollar line to be right. clear. We are together. Right. Like, right. Um, um, that's right. Right. Like. We've been doing this for a while. We holding hands and stuff. But it's DTRing, right? Defining the relationship. Just, like that's yeah. a that's a very American thing, right? They, We're like yeah, define this thing. Yeah. They don't really do that in Europe. They don't they don't really need that. It's it's a different it's a different it's a different lifestyle. So I was not used to that. You know, like you hang out with a dude a couple yeah. times and he think he your boyfriend and he posting <laughs> up and you know trying to meet his mom. I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." Because in the states <laughs> You meet somebody's mama, it's serious. You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> right. If you've met a parent, something is happening. And and even, I mean, even regionally too. And I, I think, and the fact that you even caveat it growing up in LA, yeah. right? Yeah. Even yeah. the yeah. way yeah. maybe relationships handle, but, but it's still very American though, overall. Yeah. If yeah. you're meeting a parent, you're meeting family. Yeah. You are, it's assuming you're taking ownership of this relationship to a certain degree. Sure. Yeah, it means I'm now I'm introducing you to people who are important to me. And I think it's a lot it's a lot more casual there. Mm. And so that was something I really had to get used to. It was something I really had to get used to. And it's just like 
when I was dating my second husband, you know, it, he, he very quickly wanted to introduce me to his family and all his wow. sisters, brothers and cousins, you know, and yeah. I just wasn't, I wasn't used to that. Like from LA, right. I was definitely not used to that at all. Like you could even think you was in a relationship, but you were not. <laughs> where, just out of curiosity, what was the, what, where was your uh, second husband from? Was he British? No, he was Dutch. He was Dutch. Okay. Well, girl, Dutch. you just introduced a whole other <laughs> element to this. Yeah. Yes, I mean, yes. that's fascinating. We, at this point in this journey, I feel like we've been all around the United States. <laughs> yes. We have dabbled on the British Isles, yes. somehow hopped over to Oceania. Yeah. And you are currently in France. So I'm currently in France, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so at the yeah. time when... Um, uh, me and my second husband, we had went to New Zealand and Australia, and then we came back to England. Um, we didn't really want to stay in England. Like we, we had been there for a while and, and we kind of just wanted to try something else. And I wanted to go to France. I was in love with French, uh, food. And at the time I, I was reading a series of books that was called the Olive Farm written by Carol Drinkwater. Yeah. And it went through the 20 years of her journey of trying of trying to build her life in the south of France. And it wasn't just the rose colored glasses stuff. It was also the yeah. sweat, blood and tears stuff. And I've just fell in love with the south of France through those books. And I wanted that. I wanted that life. And one day he came home. It's always like one. It's always one day someone comes home and tells me with a night. Yeah, I'm like, what did he come home and say? I'm almost scared, given this far in the story. Uh, so he yeah. comes home. He comes home and he says, like he 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 took a meeting with an old colleague, and basically they wanted to recruit him for a project in Paris. And would he be willing to? Would he be willing to go? And so, um, and he's okay, like, okay, let me. Let me ask you a quick question here. At this point, because obviously you were with the man for three months, you moved to Oceania. So you guys were out there together for two years, right? Yeah, we were pretty we were pretty much gone for two years. And then I think we had came back and we had been back for about a year. So I think we had been together about three years at this point. Okay. So when he's right. when another move is coming up, it's not like, oh my God, we just moved again. Okay, cool. So a colleague yeah. came up and said, Paris. And he said, I know you've always wanted to go. You know, I had always dreamed of going to the South. I didn't really have any real desire to live in Paris, like in a city that wasn't really what I was looking for. And and he was like, but it would get us there, you know, and he was like, we couldn't work our way down to the South. You know, he's like, you know, think about it. So I was like, okay. And um, and at the time, I don't, I think I was managing uh, I had a lot of stuff going on because my mom had cancer. So I think I was like mm. managing a job so that I could be with her uh, during yeah. the daytime and stuff like that. So when she passed away, I think I was ready for a change. And yeah. and I was just like, because she had lived with, with me a bit in England. And I was just like, yeah. you know, I, I was ready to turn that page when she passed away. Yeah. So I was like, let's try it. I was like, you know, it can't hurt. You know, if we don't like it, we just leave. You know, so right. we... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I know we're laughing, but I there's so many people who are stuck in situations and it never occurs to them that you can actually just get just out leave. of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I think yeah. there are people who would hear and go, oh my gosh, you make this effort to move to this country. 
what if it doesn't work out? And and what if the country's not a good fit for you? It doesn't mean you should stay there. Like you can actually change no. your circumstances. Well, yeah. and you know what? I was someone who was like very adaptable. Like I had lots yeah. of skills and I'm and I don't need I, I'm I'm not the kind of person like I think I I use what I need to use to get what I want. And then yeah. I pivot it when 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 the space arrives and I start to create that space where I am. Um, and that's basically what I teach people in my yeah. coaching is like, you know, you have to use each and every opportunity as a stepping stone, not as a place to live. Like yeah. it may just be one of those one of those steps getting you to where it is that you want to go. So I was very flexible and I always sort of believed in myself that I could you know, make what I want happen for myself as long as mm -hmm. I stayed open. Oh. So I was just willing to just to see, you know, what it was going to be like. But I was not keen on moving to Paris, actually. Mm. You know, I had been to Paris. I visited Paris. And, okay, you know, it reminds me of New York. You know, it's like metro stations. <laughs> it's fast. Everybody's busy. Everybody's on top of each other. It's a very expensive city. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I, you know, I was looking for olive trees and, and you know, red wine and cheese <laughs> and, you know, laying in a hammock on my, my house with a pool. Like I wasn't, I wasn't dreaming about being in some small leaky apartment in Paris that cost me $2,000. Like this was not. Right? <laughs> do you know, by the way, do you know who else has got the olive gardens and the red wine and the hammock and all of that stuff? Tuscany. Tuscany, man. Uh, have you, been, yeah, have you been, been to Italy? I haven't been there yet. I've Girl. been to Italy. I've done Italy a lot, but I haven't been to Tuscany yet. Girl, if you Tuscany and Umbria, I I don't know. I ended up in some 14th century castle that had been remade into some Airbnb, whatever. Look at but you. but more but more importantly, <laughs> when you looked over, all you saw was olive like it was olive gardens and it it was literally that quintessential like when I think Portugal of romance. Yeah, like romantic Europe. Okay, so ha did when when you guys were looking at Paris, was it a was it, it was a stepping was stone? It was a stepping stone. Okay. I mean, I I don't think he was like really super enthusiastic about Paris either. Like we <laughs> okay. we kind of we kind of wanted to go to France, and Paris was just gonna be our like test way to because, get there. <laughs> well, one because we didn't speak. He had a little bit of French. I just had French for food, like I, but I had no other French. Like I could order myself whatever it is that I wanted, no problem. But um, yeah. beyond that, I didn't have any French. So we, we kind of needed to know if we were going to be able to learn the language, if I was going to be able to find work because I was not looking to be a stay-at-home wife. You know, I could have been, but I, I had absolutely zero desire to do that. Yeah. Um, I needed to, I need to be busy, like, and I didn't want to have kids. So I didn't have like kids keeping me busy or something like that. So I knew I would have to be able to, to, to work and to, and to remain productive for myself. So we weren't sure if I was going to be able to develop my career. And I was switching careers because basically mm. when we met, I, I left being a chef and I was testing out lots of things between those three years of where I might want to go. I wasn't exactly sure about that at that point. And yeah. so when we went to Paris, we thought, well, at least this is a metropolitan city. There should be an, uh, at least a level of English that would give us a minimum quality of life to be able mm -hmm. to meet people and to do things like that. So, and so that's why we decided to, to start there at that time. How long did you live in Paris? I lived in Paris about five years. Yeah. <laughs> you, breathe, you breathe heavy. 
You know what you sound like. You sound like Dutch. It sounds like people are like, how long did you live in Amsterdam? Ah, well, now I live in Leiden, so my life is better. Or now I live in The Hague and my life is better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, like the first three years I lived in Paris, like I partied my, we were in our 20s. You know, right. so I had I had more energy than I knew what to do with. Like, well, I could barely <laughs> sit down, girl. So, you know, and then I and I had started my own business in Paris. And, you know, it was I was really fortunate because I was always putting myself out there. I was never afraid to put myself out there. So mm-hmm. I was forcing myself always into situations so that I could meet people and connect with the with the local population like and I was reading books about how to inter- integration and culture and intercultural mm. communication. Like I needed to figure out for myself the quickest way for me to, to get into this life. Right. And, and I arrived to do that. And I, I mean, my first three years, I just, we partied, like it was amazing. You know, Paris was yeah. amazing. We had an amazing time, but you know, the fourth around the fourth or the fifth year you know it's just like new york you get tired of being crammed into the subway with your face against the you know (laughs) face against the glass people bumping up against you they armpits stinking in you know it's just like you're like you know what i'm i'm tired you're like i'm just tired like i gotta get out of here and it's you know and we had bought a house you know and we were both making a very good living but to get you know a, a nice big house in Paris, you need to have millions, right? You need to have millions of dollars. So we just wanted to, you know, I think at the, at the end of that five years, we just wanted a different, a different quality of life. So I think we got out of it what we needed to. I had a successful business there and it really gave me the confidence that I needed to, to think like, okay, I can, I can permanently live in France if I wanted to, like if I'm able to start a business, I'm able Mm. to, you know, make the social life that we, that we have and all of that, then, then we're good. So I think at that point we kind of just took the money and ran pretty much. What kind of, from a career standpoint, what, what did you transition to? Because obviously at this point you've now become an entrepreneur. So what, what were you doing? Well, at the time when I first arrived, I was, you know, I, I just went, I had like six different CVs with all my different <laughs> skills, you know, like yes, everything I've ever I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. You need to have more than one because you, yeah. once again, are head of the curve. Yeah. And I tell yes, people girl. you need to have multiple ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had multiple ones. Like for every skill that I had, like, because I was going to school to learn French. So I needed to find jobs that, that I could do around taking my French courses. Right. Okay. And so, I mean, that could have been anything from waitressing to cleaning, mm-hmm. to personal assistant, to receptionist, to, it was whatever <laughs> I could, you know, while I yeah. was going to school to learn French, it was whatever I could do that would go around learning. I didn't care about what job I had at that point. I was caring about learning the language because I yeah. thought like, I'm never going to actually be able to have the full, the the full enjoyment of this opportunity until I can really connect with people, you know, um, and, and the language is a, is a big part of that. So, and I, and I'm, and I'm dyslexic. So I knew it was going to be a big mm-hmm obstacle for me and I and that this was something that I couldn't wait to do and that I had to do it right away so I was willing to sacrifice you know for the for the couple of years that it took me to 
really start to integrate the language to just find the work that showed up. I mean, and also I did logistics in the military. So I also worked in a logistics company. And in the end, how I started my business, and this is a crazy story. I was looking at this point, I was looking for, I was like an admin job. I was like, I need something that's more like behind, behind a desk. Cause I was running all over Paris doing all kinds of yeah. stuff. And I was like, I need something a bit more calmer because I decided to go to the Sorbonne. That's what I recommend. Mm-hmm. Go to the Sorbonne. Don't waste your money on all these other schools. Cause I had went to like four different French schools <laughs> and they were crap. The Sorbonne oh is the best. You should just yeah. pay your money, learn <laughs> to speak French properly and get on with right. your life. <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's what they do. They're a renowned institution. So yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and once I did that, I, w- I, I had, I was looking for, you know, jobs who were looking for like English speakers. And there was a lady, an astrologist who's actually a pretty famous astrologist. Her name is Yasmin Bolin. And she like writes for Mary Claire and all this stuff. And she was looking for a personal assistant and to get the job, you had to send in your date of birth with your time of birth. And she was going to pick people from the interview from their astrology chart. So I'm from LA. I'm like, why not? You know, <laughs> it's like, you never know. In LA, all kinds of stuff happens. You never know when an opportunity is going to look like, right? I'm not discriminative of an opportunity until I know all the details. You know what I'm saying? Because the job looked good. Like what she was asking for, like fit around my school hours, the pay was good. It was skills, the things that she needed, which was mostly administrative stuff. It wasn't like reading people's charts or anything. That was her thing. So what she needed was mostly administrative. So I was like, I can do those things. And it was near my school. So it was, it, it like ticked a lot of boxes. So I was excited. I was like, I'll send my birthday and time of birth. No problem. I was like, let's hope our stars are aligned. I was like, so I get this job. Sorry. This is a very LA, like, I don't, yeah, okay. it's an LA, it's sorry, right? Sorry, right. And so she said when she got, when she read my chart, she said she got tingles all over. And, um, and I went for the interview and we hit it off like a house on fire and we're still friends to this day. And it's because of her, I started my business. So basically what happened was I was a personal assistant for her, but she, she was from Australia. So she would go back like six months out of the year and she would rent her and she would rent her apartment or family members would come. And she asked me like, could you open, could you open, you know, the apartment for them? And she and I used to help her organize and clean her apartment because I used to have a hard time focusing and working. And I'm like, why don't you just let me help you clear this space so that we can work better together? And then she she just would feel bad when she would have to leave. So she started to ask her friends, do you need a personal assistant? She also organizes. Uh... And then and then before I knew it, I had like six clients who I was doing this for, who lived just like her and was also leaving and looking for someone to kind of manage their apartment when they left. And then wow. I was like, I might as well just turn this into a business. And that's what <laughs> I did. And my business was called Organize It One, Two, Three. And in the end, I had seven employees, anywhere between 50 and 75 apartments on my books. And that's what we did. I basically provided apartment management services, uh, personal assistants and cleaners. Uh, wow for anglophones who were sort of had their second homes in paris so you know i did that for about five years and it was very successful so yeah that 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 small that small unusual opportunity 
created a, a, a livelihood and a business for me that pretty much changed my life at that point. Okay. I, this is related. <laughs> I'm, now I'm just curious. I am just curious. So what is your sign? I'm a Virgo. Me too. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, you're, <laughs> you were talking and I was like, oh my God, I bet she's a Virgo. She's a Virgo. I bet she's a Virgo. <laughs> what's your birthday? What's your My birthday is August 25th. I'm on the cusp. September 13th. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, okay. right. No. My no, best friend was... is, Yeah, my my sister was September 5th and I think my best friend is September 21st. Let me give me the line, but yeah, I think Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you were talking and you know what triggered me is when you said I can't like I need to focus. I need to clean the space. I needed to or- yeah, be organized. Yeah. And I went is she speaking my love language? She's a Virgo. She's totally a Virgo. Oh my God, she's a Virgo. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, and that's why I always tell people like when you're moving abroad, you don't 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 put yourself in a box, especially if you're in the position where you need to feel like you need to learn the language first before you can yes. actually get what you want. It's like you have no idea what can come out of any opportunity that didn't look like an opportunity at all. Most people that I coach, it was something that they were totally resistant against that ended up being the thing that launched them to their fulfillment where they are. So I think when you're abroad, you have to be flexible. You have to be open to things, not looking the way that you think they should, you know, things don't always show up the, the way you think, the way you think they are. And lots of times people push away opportunities because they, they want things to look a certain way and, and you have to be open to, to opportunity walking up to you and not being discriminatory. It's investigating. I always tell people if you're curious, that's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. If you're curious, like I'm, I'm a serious person. So I don't like, if, if someone, if I would have went to that astrology, if I would have went to her house and she wasn't actually a serious businesswoman, which she is, she, I mean, she was a journalist before, which she does is very, very serious. So she's written books, you know, she's yeah. a very accomplished person. And if that wouldn't have been a serious person, I wouldn't have followed through with that. But I was mm-hmm. curious enough to investigate, to see, you know, is this, does this opportunity live up to what I think? that I, yeah. you know, that I see. So I always give myself the right to be curious. It doesn't mean that I have to make a decision in that moment. It means I need to get as much information as I can, and then I can make the best decision possible for me. Can I, you know, at this point, and I'm, I'm curious, obviously, as someone who's a Black woman, yeah. how have you, I guess in the spaces that you've lent, that you've lived in. And obviously I I always say this, particularly for those who are coming from the United States, we know there's a particular history. (laughs) We have a particular racial history. Yeah. How have you, you know, living in France really navigated, like how have you sort of observed, I guess, kind of race relations living in France and, and have you ever felt a certain type of way because of how you present as a black woman or has it just been, look, I've been very fortunate that, people just kind of rolled with me as I am. Well, you know, I mean, I would say, I think it all depends on, I think a lot of it has, has to depend on how you grow up. Now, when I grew up, you know, my parents, my grand, my great, my great grandparents, my grandparents, they were from the South. They were like from Georgia, Mississippi. Yeah. And that generation, they don't talk to you about nothing. 
They they don't talk to children about stuff. They didn't talk about race. They didn't talk about racism. All they taught us is was that you need to be smart and you need to work and you need to mind your own business. You don't need to care what anybody thinks about about you. You don't have time for that. You need to focus on what you're doing. So all the women in my family, you know, were educated, were teachers. They had good jobs. They all own their own houses. And we mm-hmm. did not talk about race that much in our house because you were supposed to be mm-hmm. focusing on what you needed to do. Not, You don't go toward the people who are trying to hold you down. You, go, you need to find the space where you can grow. That's where you yeah. need to be looking. And, you know, my parents used to always tell me that no one can, no one can hide your spirit. So make sure you focus mm-hmm. on making your spirit as bright as possible. Go within, make sure you working on who you are, that you transcend all your skin, all the boundaries, all the colors. And I think that's how I pretty much live my life. And so maybe I experienced racism, but I might not have been paying attention to it as, as much as maybe mm-hmm. some other people. But I didn't actually care. I'm from the States and I needed to create what I needed to create to make my life happen. And that's what I was focused on. Like whatever everybody else thought of me, I I just didn't have time for that. I was on the grind. You know what I mean? I just, I didn't, even if I had to create my business with all black people, that's what it would happen. But what I was focusing on was what I needed to create. I didn't actually have that much time to think about me as a black woman in this space. Mm-hmm. I thought about myself as somebody trying to create a life and that's what I focused on. I would say more when I came to the south of France and I've been here a little while now and people ask that question. I would say the only thing that sometime when I feel that weight of racism, I wouldn't say racism, but I would say the eyes of a colon of countries that colonize people mm-hmm. is they they don't, I don't think they know that they're doing it, but when like they ask you, where are you from? And if I say I'm American, they go, no, but where are you from? I'm like, what the hell you mean? Like, <laughs> do you not know American history? Like they brought us over on a boat. We don't know where we're from. You know, like some people do, but for me, this is a very sensitive and can be a quite painful question. And what I have to educate people on is that a lot of us don't know where we came from. We know we came from a slave port from one of these four places in Africa. But this is a very painful question for some of us because we can't answer it. And you insisting on trying to find my origins when I myself don't know them. And they've been mixed up between Indians yeah. and slave masters and who God knows what, you have no idea really what you are, you know, as far as that is concerned. And sometimes that question in France, they're obsessed with that question. Mm. And sometimes it just, that would, that, that would irritate me because it's a question I can't answer. Right. Right. And and I, I wonder, I, I think you said it perfectly where you're like countries that have colonized places. I wonder because when, you look at immigration at some of these other places, folks are like first gen, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. so if a black or brown person is there, you can treat right, Pakistani, Ghanaian, whatever. And and I it is still amazing to me that the with the prox <laughs> with how far the US is from some of the places where people came from, that people don't yeah. realize people can't often just give you, especially if you are a black person who has yeah. been it like it, because I'm first gen. So I don't count. But if your family has been here, if you are a black person and you yeah. didn't come in the most recent wave, your family has yeah. been here for so long. 
yeah. that no people can't just rattle off <laughs> oh yeah. we're this we're that because yeah and i think if if you asked me and i told you why you keep asking me <laughs> right right I, I gave you my answer right i said right. i'm american because that's where I feel like I'm from. If I felt like I was from somewhere else, I would say, "Oh, you know, uh, my family's from Senegal, but yeah. I grew up in I grew up in the United States." Because yeah. most people who do have a descent that they know about, they say it first. They they say it, yeah, absolutely, yeah, because they know absolutely. it. So I think, and I mean, as time went on, I I had to get away from getting upset about it and trying to open a conversation. For people yeah. to understand like how that could be a painful question in some way for, for certain people. And that when someone gives you an answer, you should take it. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me more in France, it's more about classism. than And, and I think the racism just falls inside of the classism. Yeah. But I, you know, and I think people who come from economically challenging situations always have less opportunity to education. And in France, if you do not have the opportunity to education, you, your, your chances of having a successful career are extremely limited. So, and unfortunately, people who tend to be marginalized as far as economical things go are people who happen to be, you know, brown skin, but there's lots of poor white people around here too, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this is always a shock to people. I'm like, there are plenty of poor white people. I mean, I don't want anybody yeah. to be poor, but there are plenty of poor white people, but that's not the first yeah. of anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, do you, yeah. I, and, and I'm curious, and I don't know if you can answer this question. And if you can't, that's fine. I, I, because I, because you are an expat coach or just because you've been an expat for so long. And I've, I've, I've kind of had this conversation with, with other people who do coaching who are black, but do you find particularly then and I say this because you are American, do you find in the light of like how you sort of described you see yourself in navigating racism and, and what you can and cannot do, do you mm -hmm. find yourself that you have to sometimes have conversations maybe with black folks who are coming from the States and say, look, this might be a different environment for these reasons. And I just even, I mean, even casually, not even necessarily coaching, but in terms of, okay, blackness is seen in a certain way or received in a certain way, maybe in parts of the U.S., but you yeah, know what? Yeah, because you know, you know something, you know, because you know something we do in the States, like when you watch like stand-up comedy, we mm -hmm. always say I'm like black people do this and white people do this. That doesn't exist here. Yeah. Right? Everybody just do what they, everybody's doing the same stuff. They do what you they know? do. <laughs> you do what they do. Yeah. And like people who come from Senegal, they got their stuff because here it's, you know, it's Africans. They, they're nothing right. like, um, you know, African-Americans. So absolutely. Yeah, you know, like, and so even that was a culture shock for me being exposed mm. to actual African culture that really happened mm -hmm. for me once I got here. Yeah. And then I, and then I realized how un-African I actually was, you know what I mean? I was like, I don't even know why I got a hyphen on mine. Like, cause I don't know nothing, you know? Sorry, that's so funny. I mean, you know, seriously right. though, like I, I got so much education about African music and African right. culture, especially in I, France. Yeah. Yeah. No, once I moved to France. So, you know, even for me, it was a huge cultural understanding of what's, you know, inherently part, part of my roots, you know, yeah. of, of where, you know, my, my, you know, origins come from. Yeah. So it's, it, it, 
I don't know, to be honest with you. I do not have very many conversations about yeah. race ever. Yeah. I, I always make people focus on what it is they're trying to create and they need to mm -hmm. leave the rest. It's waste of energy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a waste of energy. You can't change people's minds and how they feel. But what you can do is find the people who feel you and to mm. grow that space as big as possible. And and if people, I know people do have wounds. And if, and if that's what you're looking for, that's just going to be extra baggage that's going to drag yeah. you down while you're trying to create whatever it is that you're trying to create. Yeah. I think if you want to look deeper into racial issues, what I tell people and if you have a real issue with that is establish yourself first, get stable, focus on what you can do. And, and when you are where you want to be, then you can, then you can, then you can look into sort of, and I think that's what happened to me. Once I established mm -hmm. myself, then I started to be able to have those conversations when I went to dinner parties about you know, people asking me that question and mm -hmm. to really open up and to start to speak about colonization and what that means and how that has affected people mm -hmm. across generations. And, and it has to be a conversation, you know, and that's all I all ever tell people. Like I've spoken to very racist. When I was in Australia, some these people, whew, I, you know, like I heard some <laughs> racist comments like, you know, and I've been to the South, so, you know, you, you get used to, you know, you used to hearing things, but like people yeah. would say things to me that they thought were a compliment, like genuinely, like they right. thought what they said to me was a compliment and right. it definitely was not. But because right. I don't look for other people for approval of who I am, it doesn't offend me. So I can have a conversation with this person and I would have conversation, I guess, with so-called so races to yeah. try to open that feeling of understanding, to understand like, why that might be offensive to someone like do you understand who you know why that yeah i under i like i understand you're trying to give me a compliment so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to take it as one but at the but. same time <laughs> but. i think you might want to be aware of the yeah, little right. uh, you know because you may say that to the wrong that. person and they may not be yeah, as helpful they, they may go all the way left on you you know all what i mean right like, all the way <laughs> to the left <laughs> Um, but I'm definitely, I think about, I think that the only way you get to understanding is being able to have a conversation. And I, I think I've sat down with people who've had some very sort of maybe naive views about, about race. And the only way we were able to educate each other was through having a conversation. So if I get offended and I get angry, we can no longer have a conversation. So yeah. What I do is I just, I'm okay with who I am and I don't need anyone's approval, nor am I looking for it and nor yeah. do I need it. Right. So yeah. I, I've never been, regardless of the circumstances, you know, it's kind of like I'd be Harriet Tubman. If I had to dig myself out of this, <laughs> out of this mug with a spoon and a fork, I'm going to find my freedom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> given me a really good segue where I kind of wanted to pivot because as you've been talking about identity and race and in the space, mm. how have you, you know, obviously you're American. Now, is your husband French? He is French. Yes. So how have you kind of navigated now a cross-cultural relationship, right? So, and, and you've right. had several before, but now, you know, you're in France, you're obviously married to a French man and then you've yeah. got you've got your little one who is yeah is he, he i'm assuming the little one's french french there's there's probably a hint yeah. of american but french yeah. french 
Yeah, he's yeah. good friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, ha- so have there been things that you've you've realized within you that you're like, what I do is very American, and what he does is very French, and we're trying to meet in the middle, or has it just been this happy medium in terms of you 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 got your own little world? I think the only time that I that I remember how American is is when I'm on the phone with my family and they like yelling, <laughs> they like right. yelling down the phone. You're like, he'd be like, why are they speaking so loud? I'm like. <laughs> Oh, I can't. I can't explain that. I don't know. We just, I don't know. Black folks yell at each other over yeah, there. That's like what, right, right. That might not even be American though, because my family, my family does that. That's true. It might just be African. Might might be black people. That that actually might be black people. <laughs> that might actually as a group. Right. Yeah. You know. And I would. Say, I think it's just small things. Like French people yeah. don't snack. Like Ooh. Americans <laughs> snack. We Ooh, snack. Yes. Yes. You know, so like around four o'clock, I'm looking for something, you know, I'm like, can I, <laughs> right. can I get something? To... And he's like, oh, no, you know, you shouldn't snack, you know, between meals, you know, like sir. they don't. Sir, <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, I'll, I'm going to say it respectfully. Yes, you do. This is, what, this is this is how we sustain ourselves between meals because we haven't had a meal in like an hour. And so we need to keep it yeah, going. Yeah, so. I, I would just say it's it's very small things like yeah. that. And I mean, as far as music is concerned, I mean, my, my husband, I like all kinds of music, but you know, when I need to, I still need to get down, you know? So it's like, I, I <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I still need my, I still need to back it up somewhere. Right. You know? I mean, <laughs> ratchet, ratchet is in the DNA. Like I, man, I don't know what I was listening to the other day. And I said, I haven't heard that ra- it was like down south, like you know what I mean. It was like yeah. like, like just, it was like little, it was like little Texas. down in the east, boys, yes. east side boys, yes. boys. Yeah, yeah, it was all of that. And I said, yeah, yeah. I'm too old for this, but still, still, it's in there, and you be right. trying to deny it. Right, they put the You're beats like, on, you know? you'd be like, you'd be like, mm. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I would say mostly the music. You know, I think even though they have hip hop and R and B and all that stuff out here, it's everything is sort of a copy of our culture. And you kind of understand that American culture, I think what you realize has affected so much of the world. And um, that has given us a sort of privilege to be quite honest, Um, that we tend to be quite comfortable because most movies are from America, you know, all, you know, music, you know, as sort as pop culture is going and hip hop yeah. is going, that's, yeah. you know, the majority of that is American. So I just think, uh, you know, now they got cupcakes and donuts and, you know, the, you know, Burger King arrived in France. When I, when I arrived here, they weren't allowed to have Burger King in Marseille. Really? Because they don't allow, because, and that's another difference in France. They do not, they only allow a, a certain amount of fast food chains. Mm. God bless them. So at the time there was a French one called Quick, and so okay. while Quick existed, Burger King couldn't be in. Could so not. what did Burger King do? They bought Quick, right? So now there's <laughs> no right. more Quick. Now there's no more Quick, and now there's McDonald's and Burger King. But I think for me and my husband, I mean, I'm of a certain age at this point. You know, I'm on my. Yeah. This is my third marriage, so. I think we align more on values and right. sort of the lifestyle that we wanted to live. And that was a very deep conversation before we got married. He's, al- he's always been a very open person. And I never, like race has never been a conversation. Mm-hmm. As long as I feel respected and loved and yeah. his family loves me and, 
and he's always done everything to do as much as he can for my family. That's that's about the extent of that for me in my situation anyway. And what what drew you guys to living in Marseille? <laughs> so basically, after Paris, I moved to Bordeaux and I stayed Bordeaux. in Bordeaux for about a year. But then me and my second husband decided to divorce. And so the woman who who helped me start my business in Paris, she had an apartment in London and she was like, you should go to London. And, you know, while you're rebuilding your life, because I had decided to go back to school to get to get a degree and to get my coaching certification and to do all of that. So I spent three years in London. And after you spend three years in London, like with the rain and, and the gray, I was like, I need to go back to France, but I'm going to the south of France. And I had some friends from Paris who had moved to Marseille. And so I came to visit Marseille a couple of times. And each time I came, I wanted to stay longer and longer. And I guess the last time I came, when I was thinking about moving back to France, I was like, well, if I can find work, I'll stay. And that's just basically what happened. I came Two weeks later, I found work, and I've been here ever since. Now that you've been in, you've been in France for a while. What do you love about living there? The lifestyle, you know. I think French people value time over money, and I think that's the exact opposite of the United States. And time is the only thing you can't buy, and and it's the most valuable thing you have and i think people have to understand the depths of what you're trading your time for and i'm not willing to trade my time for for things that are not meaningful to mm. me so in france you know i have time and people love taking time and spending time together yeah and i think to to have good wine and to have good cheese and to have good produce in those beautiful french markets you have to take that's why there's no gm you know gmos yeah. they you know they use 300 less pesticides in their food than the united states um you have lots of rules around out you know the how people eat and why we have a reduced rate of obesity and all kinds of things like that, because yeah. it's the quality of life that is, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. Yeah. And I think, I think that speaks to the kind of life that I want to live, that I don't need a lot of things, but I want the things that I do have to be good things. And I want as much as my time as I can have as possible. And, and I think French people don't put anything more valuable than that. Mm. And I think as soon as they can explore and travel and and um, they have a great passion for music and, and art and, and, and poetry and just so many different things. Like they're, you know, in the States, what you do is who you are. In yeah. France, it's what, you, what you're interested in is who you are. Yeah. And I think that's a much more deeper context and I think it gives you more room to show different facets of yourself. Yeah. But I think it's also very, you know, France is also a very complex culture and it can be a very complex culture to crack into. Yeah. I think as a coach, I think the, the, the sense of belonging is the biggest pain point for most people who move here. Okay. So I think, you know, when you're picking a country, it's just like picking a partner. Your, your values have to line up, you know, and you and that and that country has to represent the type of lifestyle that you want to live. And France just happens to, to do that for me.
The Global Chatter is an audio project of the Black Expat and is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. And you can find it wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about this show or the Black Expat, visit theblackexpat.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.